Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, as always, it, it, so it's my fault, everyone who's like, when is the next episode of the Atlas Project coming out? Why hasn't it come out? Yeah, I take, I take full responsibility. No, 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 no. No. So no, this is a, no, give me the blame. There's I'm a Canadian. Great, uh, it, Let me apologize. There was a great, there's a great English um, clergyman, John Stott, who I think he was one of the Queen's chaplains at one point. And um, this just giant of this British Anglican evangelical tradition. And I actually knew a guy. He was a legendary guy, a sweet guy. And um, what's his name? I knew a guy that worked as his assistant and called him Uncle John. Uncle John. What, what was Corey. his name again? John. John Stott. John Stott. Stott. He, he was he was kind of like um, like a Billy Graham finger in England. He was just huge, but. Um, my friend Corey, who was his personal assistant for a couple of years, said that um, Uncle John would always tell him, no false guilt, no FG, no false guilt. So no FG, Chris, no FG, no false guilt. No one's fault. We're, 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 we're kind of, you know, pressing on together. I agree 100%. For me, I don't like it's, false it's, guilt. For me, it's all about true guilt. It's the search for true guilt. <laughs> exactly. That's my that's my mission. <laughs> exactly. No false guilt. No FG. No FG. I like that. No. So FG. here we go. We, we're we're back more into the breach. I am I quite admittedly a little tired. I schlepped across Manhattan to meet with some friends who just got married. Um, um, it was second marriages for them both, and they're just this delightful, happy couple. And um, he actually, I do a podcast with um, the 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 groom and. Um, I slept around and I just, it was hot, you know, and you have a couple of drinks and you walk back and you're dehydrated. And it was like humid and hot. And I was just like, I felt like Lawrence of Arabia walking through the desert, except not that dramatic. Did it take <laughs> as long like, as that my movie? Bedwin, <laughs> where are my Bedouin companions? Like, it's such a great movie. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, you talk about, you know, second marriage and they're both really happy. And I know this isn't uh, all marriages, but you know, given the the rates of divorce, I I wonder if it would be a, a a gross simplification. But if a lot of people would nonetheless find it true for them that, you know, the your your first marriage you marry, sort of for society, yeah, and 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 the second marriage you do it for yourself. And again, I say well, I mean, yeah. gross simplification, but I think that for some people that's probably been. The journey, and in fact, you know, one of the one of the modern features, the the um, the I, I I don't know how to put it, but you know, the whole status of the institution of marriage has 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 become much more malleable than it was yeah. in the past, and you know, one of the positive consequences of that is that there's a lot more opportunity to learn. <laughs> from your experiences about yourself it's interesting because there's a a christian psychologist who taught an institution called fuller um out in california and pretty prominent guy named lewis smeads he's dead a little while now but i remember hearing him saying a talk he's been married seven times to the same woman and he's like well you know our first marriage we're like newlyweds and then we're you know young parents with young children and then this and then this and then we're empty nesters and retirees and he's like the successful marriage is all about death and resurrection where one thing dies and gives birth to a new thing right mm. and, and and i think when people get divorced it's because there's no room for resurrection there's no room for a new beginning and somebody starts over and, and finds someone in the new stage of life that they can enter into that stage of life with and i think the, 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 I think if you find long-term marriages that are healthy, like where people actually still can stand each other and they still are, you know, bringing a smile to each other's face and, you know, they're still enjoying sh- sharing space, it's because they're able to recreate um, the relationship around new circumstance and new realities. And I think that this, you know, uh, it will be relevant to our topic today, I think, so- actually. So, you know, to bring it back to John Stott, who I'm now reading about, quote from John Stott, 
Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. I love it. That sounds like a great dialectic for any married couple. Oh, absolutely. And Stott was a lifelong bachelor. Although my friend Corey told me there were no shortage of women from the Church of England that wanted to make him not a bachelor. Like they would invite him on vacations and he was just, I don't like, and I don't, it's one of the, I feel, like, we're, I feel I, like these are the stories that Corey, if he was like his personal assistant, were not supposed to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not surprised. But he was just this like lifelong angler. It wasn't Catholic. He could have married, um, but he was a lifelong bachelor um and these but these women like from the church of england would just be like oh reverend Stott, like would you like to come to my uh you know uh, beach thing or come to the isle of jersey and the guy was like you know uh you know he was uh you know but he was not again he never dated he was a really interesting deep spiritual guy who wrote a lot of books um was a deep reader um and and by all accounts that i know like just this very Almost like a medieval kind of figure. It was very the spiritual guy who um, I could only aspire to that level of spirituality. But we, you and I both know that is not me. <laughs> <laughs> no FG. You know, no FG. No FG. I'm aspirational. That, that's so useful. No, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So, no, you, you, you and me, we can both aspire to some true guilt. But um, yeah, but I don't have an assistant you know, that can tell those things to who can then relay it on a podcast. Without my exactly. Permission. Exactly. <laughs> but this, you know, I, I feel like we, yeah, you're right. I think we're, we're, we're circling nicely around what felt like, what felt like the meta question that the times, especially the last couple of weeks, and there's so much to talk about. We'll have to um, get into the Olympics at some point, but but this, there is so much strain that society is under right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, marriage is just one example of it, this pandemic and what we're all psychically having been, having been put through over the last year and a half. And, and now, you know, with this heat wave across, you know, kind of most of the global north, it is, I, I mean, uh, there is this kind of, I think almost a, almost an edge of panic. Do you do you sense that over there in New York? You're kind of like, uh oh, okay, it's it's really starting to happen now. And we've kind of heard about this, we've known about this, we've you know this is going to get. There's going to be this change, but we're starting to feel like, oh, so if this is what you mean, I don't like this. And I'm talking about weather and climate change and, you know, the, the forest fires, the flash floods. Did you see yeah. some of the videos of these flash floods in China? I mean, people almost drowning in, yeah. in subway systems that just like the tunnel, they flooded so fast that people were still inside them as the waters rushes, rushed to, to, to fill them here in London. It is beautiful. Uh, and you know there's something deeply wrong in the world's weather patterns when it's nice. If London, London. Is, is good, <laughs> no, and not just like for one day. You move to London if you if you have a gray disposition, right? Because it's gray. Like it's not dark. It's not black. It's not awful. And it's not sunny. It's gray, like Earl Grey tea. It's kind of you know you, you go to London because you don't want extremes. But you know who is moving to England is uh, French wine growers, because a lot of. <laughs> No, seriously, because a lot of the varieties, like we, we're not going to be able to grow these already now or in the future, we can see we're going to have to move north if we want to keep, uh, keep our production up. So, but I, 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 I feel like, you know, and, and what's that, what's that phrase, what's that uh, technical term in literature where sort of nature behaves in sympathy with what's, what's happening with humanity? Is that... Uh, Pathetic fallacy? No, no, it's not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's pathetic fallacy is what it is. All right. It, that's it's not onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia is the one onomatopoeia. where like, That's when stuff sounds like what like it should snapping. sound like. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's pathetic fallacy. So, it, it, I mean, the kind of strain that nature seems to be under right now, I think is a great, is a great analogy for the strain that... Um, that just, you know, society with a capital S seems to be under right now. So, you know, with my historical mindset, uh, 
I thought, you know, what are some great ways to think about strain? And I had I had my uh, my my assistant Google do some research for me. Um, it's also wonderful, by the way. You know, one of the great joys of being an alumnus of a university institution is that you get like lifelong access to uh, academic journals, which is yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and a lot of people like a lot of like my fellow they don't take advantage. It's it's amazing. Did you yeah. ever read these things? So you know, going into going into the academic archives just fascinating to go into like the sociology journals and see like, you know, so what, what else have people been writing about strain? It would, Newsflash, we've been writing about strain and kind of the pressure that society's under for a long time. But no surprise, there was a lot of really interesting thinking done about this and, and a lot of thinking about how to, how to make sense of this in the 1930s during the Great Depression. It was a huge growth industry for <laughs> for people trying to make sense of 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 a just a, a time and a stress that it was just astonishing to read these like dusty papers from 90 years ago like oh my god this is so relevant to us today it, it's funny because i was talking with someone who was we we're talking about covid stuff or something and they were saying like well, the D variant and we're not safe. And they were saying like 30% or 30 some percent of the people that got sick are, are vaccinated or something like that. The, the D variant, right. It's kind of the, you know, the, and so it, it is, it, it's, it goes back to that strain and anxiety you're talking about where like in New York, it's like, it's almost back. Everybody feel it, it did feel like walking around today. It felt like, you know, um, most people are not wearing masks. Some people are. I mean, but um, some people are. It's probably 50-50. Like, but it, it does. And all of a sudden, people are just like, whoa, 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 the D-strain. And it becomes another kind of thing. Like, well, we're not out of the woods yet. The D-strain. And it's like, oh, my gosh. It's dun, like, dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And it, but it is this. You're right. I mean, I, and I wonder how much psychologically we can take. Right. When you're talking about like. Mm. climate change and flooding of subway stations and redwood fires. It's funny because I, I was, I was having trouble breathing. Like I was, I was kind of just laying on the couch and having a little trouble. I didn't know if it was anxiety or if it was like, what? It just, I was, cause I was thinking about some stressful things and my buddy comes in and says, well, I said, I'm having trouble breathing a little bit. And he says, well, you know, it could be because of the redwood fires. And I'm like, what? And he's like, oh yeah, our air quality. If you look at New York's air quality rating because of the redwood fires, so that's like happening in the other end of the country. But the eco ecological effects affect air on the eastern seaboard, right? And so it's like this like it's it is a very like fragile like there there is a sort of inner you know kind of connectedness in a way that it is tough to sort of get your 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 mind around on an everyday basis. You can think about it intellectually, but you don't really think that when you're watching forest fires on the other side of a continent that's as big as North America, that actually your breathing could be affected or something. It just, it just boggles the mind. So, you know, think about... So, let's hang in that space of your mind being boggled because I think that that space is... It's. It, I think it's a space in which we can, from which we can emerge, emerge with with great insight. If if you think of you know what, what is the what is the most unsettling thought that one can have inside that space where where your mind is boggled, and and I think it might be. Have, are we going about all of this the wrong way? So in, in, in 1938, there was an American sociologist, Robert Merton. Um, he, he published um, a paper. He published a lot of papers 
uh, on what he called strain theory. Um, he was a the, the fascinating guy who I'd known nothing about until I read these papers. He was actually the founder of the focus groups. If you ever heard of or been in a focus group, he started all of that. But but he was interested in in the context of the 1930s and the Great Depression. People whose minds were boggled, you know, just felt like, oh my God, like this box is, what is going on? And he tried to define the box. And he said, okay, you know, what what is boggling you is two things. Um, you're questioning the goals of society and you're questioning the means, how we go about achieving those goals. So, you know, the goals are, you know, get rich, get famous. And in the midst of economic collapse, you're asking yourself, is that what our goal should be? And, and the means are, you know, get a good education, get a good job, and uh, you can't get an education, and jobs are disappearing. And so you're asking yourself, how on earth am I going to achieve these goals? And so, interestingly, he said, so, so this box, this black box that you're in is actually quite, quite clear. It's sort of like a, a two-dimensional square. You know, one side of the square is labeled goals, and you can either reject those goals or you can accept them. And the other side of that square is labeled means, and you can either accept the means or you can reject them. And so what he did is he actually figured out the map of, what's the noun of being boggled? Mind boggled. Mind bogglement. He mapped, <laughs> he mapped mind bogglement. It's totally fascinating. Totally fascinating. And then, you know, you look at his map, which I dusted off. I sent you a copy of it. And you look at it and you're still like, oh, this makes total sense. This explains a lot of the different kinds of relationships that people have with the mainstream today. Where whether we're looking at, you know, um, just our physical environment, our our our, our natural environment, say, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Or we're looking at this pandemic, we're like, dear God, I mean, what are other things are, are coming that we are not seeing? And we're filled, well, a lot of people, not everybody, there are different species of being mind-boggled. But we're kind of filled with this sense of, are the goals the right goals? Are the means the right means? By the way, I will just say, um, I have found... Um I found a couple versions of the chart you sent me online. So I will try to put this in the show notes. If I can get like something that's a, a very helpful chart, because are you I saying that my scribble talk- isn't helpful? No, no, no. I'm just saying, I, I don't know how I would put that in the show notes. I, uh, maybe I could, I mean, there might be a way I could use your, cause I like your, uh, but I, I would just say like, if you're listening right now and you're a little confused, cause we might refer to this chart a few times we will provide some version of the chart so that right now you're only in minute 17 or whatever. And we'll probably talk for another 40 minutes or so. So we'll get you some kind of chart in the show notes. Oh yeah. Now, totally. Right so now, you can play along. <laughs> right, Bingo. right. Exactly. And now it's like, it's like, Oh no, the chart is there. Like it's like in real time. Um, no, but I think that's really right. And I think that, that, you know, the chart you sent me is really interesting because it, and I love just like for a practical example, right? Like you can, like, let's say the, the, the goal is sort of, um, yeah, like get rich, have the, have the 2.5 kids in the suburban home or something. And you, 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 you reject the goal. Let's say you accept the means and you, and you know, like, okay, go to Harvard or Penn or, you know, some good state school, then you're a conformist. But it's interesting if you reject the goal but you still go to Harvard, you're going through the motions, right? Yeah. So maybe to back up a step. So he, 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 he drew a map with four boxes. And he said that, you know, in a moment of being mind boggled, uh, you've basically got four choices. Uh, option number one, you can conform. So, yeah, the world doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to accept the goals. I'm going to accept the means. I'm going to continue to play along and do my best. Uh, under difficult circumstances. Or um, option two, you can innovate. So you accept the goals, be like the means, like there is no way that I am going to get where society wants me to go with what it has on offer, right? Society wants me to, you know, achieve all these ambitions for myself and go through these uh, education hoops that seem totally 
outdated and slow and anachronistic to me. Why would I do those things anymore? I'm going to figure out a whole new way to get educated. He called those people the innovators. And, and I think that when he wrote about innovators, he was thinking much more broadly. We, we think in, of innovators in a very narrow way today. It's kind of like tech innovator. But even, like, we can all be innovating if we are rejecting the means that we're kind of grown up with and figuring out new ones. So we can conform or we can innovate if we accept the goals. And then our other option is, well, what if you reject the goals? You're like, you know what? Society, we are on the wrong that We've got the complete wrong destination. Well, then if you're still going to go along with things, then that's going through the motions. He actually called it ritualism. Yeah, that's actually a better word, but maybe a less accessible word. Um, I feel like going through the motions is something that I can make a lot of sense of. And then what's really interesting, he says, well, what if you reject both? What if your view is that society, like we are clearly on the wrong path? Um and I'm not going to go through the motions. I'm not going to play along. This, this just makes no sense to me. Then the option is to retreat. He called it retreat from everything that is around you. you know, you're mind boggled and you don't want to be a part of it anymore. So you try to step inward or, or, or step away. And in, uh, in the context of the 1930s, you saw a lot of people who became disenchanted, listless, felt lost. What was? What is the point of all of this? Nothing makes sense anymore. But out of those people who retreat also come the rebels, which was kind of like his, his fifth box. People who say, you know what we need? We need new goals. And we need new ways of getting there. He called those people the rebels. So that's, that's the picture that we're looking at. Okay, I've painted it. Now go, apply. Yeah, yeah, and I, I wonder, like, are those the revolutionaries, too? Like, when you have a revolution, is it where people... Or, or, I don't know, that's interesting, because how many, how many revolutions are really goal and means upending movements? Or are they... Do they start that way? I mean, it could, I, I think it's actually hard to be a rebel or a revolution. Like, it's hard to get in that fifth box. Like, right, I mean, and, and almost, it's almost like... I think most people don't get to that fifth, to, to the new box, unless they're forced to, right? I mean, because it's so, we're social creatures, and it's so hard to get off the current social grid and map, isn't it? I mean, that, like, to get into the rebel yeah. revolutionary thing, you've got to be in such a space to be liminal. Yeah, I, 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 I don't put myself in... That box. Remember a couple couple episodes ago, when we talked about alignment, and right, I kind of right, right. I kind of confessed that while I want to be good, I think I'm moderately evil. I like that about you. And yeah, and I, and I feel like I part of me I want to be a rebel. I do. I think it's cool. I I do know I do know a few people who are legitimate rebels, and it's it's incredibly inspiring. Because there, there are so many opportunities. Interestingly, uh, I'm not sure I had to see how to draw the picture, but the thing that the thing that is wrong with this picture as we're looking to it now is um, Merton ha- has drawn the rebels as adjacent to the people who choose to retreat, right? Oh yeah, it feels yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, the nearest yeah, thing. Yeah. Whereas I would say that, and and that may be, that may be true, in the mind of the, of the rebel, that's who they feel closest affinity to. My choice is either to retreat from this world, or to overthrow it. But for the rest of society, the adjacent box is conformity, because these yeah. rebels who get energy and followers. There are so many people coming to them who are saying, come on, sell out. I will give you money. I will give you fame. I will give you power if you just, <laughs> you know, if, if, you, if you exercise some of this stuff that you have, we could really do some great shit. You know what I'm thinking of in my mind at the moment? 
is uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Tell me that you've seen the music oh, of, of course. Jesus Christ Superstar, right? So when um, I forget which one of the bad guys is is telling Jesus, you know, like you're you're so good at this stuff, but just add a touch of hate at Rome. I think and it's then Jesus. you'll be powerful, right? Saying, "Hey, yeah. you rebel Jesus, come conform," and boom, yeah. Because because we've yeah. got the real power. So anyway, don't don't know where I'm going with that, but that's so. Oh, I know. So so you know, I want to be a rebel, but but I I have I have some character flaws that means I I'm so I'm so curious about the invitations to conform. Come speak at our corporate events, you know, and 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 help us to greenwash ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so greenwash is like you feel better that you take an environmental shower or whatever. Like do you tell do you well talk so about I'm, sustainability? I'm I'm not an eco warrior. Although I you know I'm 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 on this journey, as so many of us are, to reorient my understanding of my place in the world in a, in a, in a radically different way, where the environment is the context that enables everything to happen. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, I, my, my totem animal is, I don't know what, my totem spirit is the scholar, not the warrior, put it that way. Um, Mine is the platypus. Interesting. What what are what are the attributes? What are the celestial attributes of the platypus? It's so weird and it's so hybrid and like when, I think it's native to Australia, right? And I think when this, it, people were like first discovering wrong. it, keep going. I, yeah, it might be. I, I might. Be, I'm very well could be wrong there, but wherever it was native to, or maybe New Zealand or something. Oh, you're I think totally it's right. Yeah, I'm I think wrong. it's right. Yeah. So so Again. when like they discovered it, they sent it back to people in England and the people in England thought it was a joke. They thought the explorers like right. sewed all these yeah, animals together. Yeah, we've seen those to mermaid skeletons. This is another one of exactly. those things. Exactly. But the platypus is so great because it's like this weird, like it's this weird mammal with a duck bill and like, it's just so curious. It's just this like hybrid kind of creature that like is uh, evolutionary <laughs> looks like evolutionarily looks <laughs> so weird. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's got. It can live in many different spaces and and inhabit many spaces. And I feel like that's my spirit animal. Mm. It's neither the warrior, the scholar. It's it's <laughs> the um, it's the platypus. <laughs> not not the best looking animal though. I wish it was better looking. But oh, you're so anthropocentric with that judgment. <laughs> exactly. I'm anthropocentric. I'm I I am so anthrop anthropocentric adjacent. With that <laughs> I love that term adjacent. So like I, I've been hanging out in Clubhouse a lot, and, it's and, useful. and some of these leftist rooms. Everybody is like, well, you know, so my own racial identity is sort of complex. My mother, birth mother, I'm adopted. My birth mother was Jewish and my father was Puerto Rican. And they're like, but you're white adjacent or white presenting and presenting and adjacent. And there's all these like words. I'm like, what does that mean? Of white adjacent. Oh, okay. Like, does that mean I sound white? But now why don't you just say I sound white? Like, well, you're white adjacent or white presenting. I just love this vocabulary that we're developing. In the kind of like, you know, sort of uh, technological cosmopolitan world where there are all these um, geographic, we're using geographic metaphors for things that are audio. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, um, to, to bring it so back I'm to... So, I'm platypus adjacent. So, you're platypus adjacent. And, and no, I don't greenwash, but, you know, what I'm often invited to do, and so this relates to, you know, do you want to be the rebel or do you want to conform? What I'm often invited to do is to um, to to cloak executives and 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 their employees in in kind of like the the sacred garments of purpose, right? To kind of let's 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 elevate what we are here to do. And what we are doing here to another level. I mean, there is there is something something stunningly impactful about what we're doing. And it's interesting 
it's kind of like motivational speech, speech, but I'm not a motivational speaker. I kind of, I, I try to go for like, well, let's just, let's just understand what is real about what we're doing here in a totally different way. Um, and it is fascinating. I mean, you talk with, you know, a, a pharmaceutical company, you can easily wrap your head around how, you know, you have this extraordinary role to play in, in the world today. I mean, you think about it, there are very few communities of people who, who can span, you know, kind of the microscopic scale of reality all the way up to kind of the macro public policy but you guys can. So, you know, so what are you going to do with that rare power in, in a world that is, you know, so often struggling with trying to understand how the systems relate? You're one of the few groups that can do it. And they're like, wow, this is great. And then, you know, they are happy if they make more money at the end of the quarter. So it's that kind of, you know, it's that kind of conformity. Right. If if you're really listening to this stuff, then you should feel deeply disturbed. <laughs> you should be really unsettled. Um, and 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 it's that next step of being, you know, the 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 rebel who is willing to keep going down the path of being more and more unsettled is the one who never so, conforms. When you give that talk, when you do the greenwash talk, are you in quadrant one? Are you accepting the goals and the means? Are you accepting like? So the societal goal is we'd like to be a capitalist institution and endeavor that is more ecologically responsible. And the means are we kind of bring in thought leaders and experts to help us think through how could we do that. So are you in the kind of most conservative box in the quadrant when you do that? You know, I would say it's actually... No, um, okay. Okay. I'm just yeah. incapable. So um, it's actually interestingly, I would say that I'm, I'm probably invited to come speak and help them to be in the innovate box, right? Okay. Don't okay. don't don't question the you know the the fundamental objectives of society. I mean we're. We're we're not going to overthrow the structure of our organization, and 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 we haven't brought you in in order to tell us that that's what we should do. But um, but they do want me to say like we're looking at all of we're looking at things the 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 wrong way, entirely. You know, let you got to stop doing what you're doing, and seeing what you're seeing, and we got to see a whole new picture. And okay, in that so picture, we're going to start doing some different things. So it's kind of so like they, innovate, right? They want me to come in and help them yeah. innovate. Where the where the tension often is for me is that it, often I don't fully accept the goals. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so and so I'm actually I'm, I'm I'm trying to bring them in to retreat with me. I remember I gave a I gave a talk at uh, uh, Singularity University at some Californian thing, and anyway. Um, that sounds so California. Like, oh, I totally. There's no singularity totally. university in Glasgow or Rhode Island in the United States. Like, it, that's only California. Yeah, it, 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 it straight out exactly. And uh, I'm giving a talk, and this is a couple of years ago now, so I'm a bit dim on the on the details. But I remember very specifically this one point in the talk where it kind of got to the the implications, and and I said, you know what, leaders are lost. And unless you realize that, you're not going to find the path forward. There was one person in this crowd of like maybe a couple of thousand people who, who, who clapped <laughs> <laughs> when I said that leaders are lost. I think she even whooped. So, you know, that and, and that's that's the kind of, you know, the sort of the truth to power, the unpopular thing that that actually I think that we will get farther ahead if you retreat with me, if you reject the goals and come with me into this into this unsettling box. But it doesn't always go over well. And I think that that's, you know, if I can then sort of bring that around to sort of looking out at the world today and the range of relationships that we have, that different people have with with the status quo, 
with the mainstream. I think that this picture from 1938 is incredibly helpful in just stimulating us to be asking good questions about that relationship and about the different the different deviants, the different ways of deviating from the norm that uh, that we are seeing emerge right now. When you said that, I, I, I just I wanted to ask you something before we go into the meta. I'm really curious, like when corporate people bring you in and you take them to the retreat phase, what are the conversations like after the talk? I mean, do they like, because I'm sure you spend time, you know, you, you give the talk and there's the applause, wherever there's the reception and maybe there's the after party. Wherever. The people that have brought you in, what are those post game conversations like? How, how, how do they, how do those go? Well, so first of all, what I would say is um, it's very dangerous when you do public speaking to to judge how to judge the impact of your words based on who comes up to you afterwards, because it's always the people who loved it. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so it's a very skewed. It's a very skewed sample. It's a very, you know, a, a much better way to feel humble is to slink out and go to the men's room, you know, kind of hide in the stall <laughs> and, and hear people, hear people in the toilet talking about that last session and, you know, what that person said. But the people I, that I often, bring you in, you, yeah, you so, must talk with them. Like the people yeah, that no, sponsor no, so, the talk so, and stuff. So often it's a lot of energy, right? If somebody comes up to me, it's usually with a lot of energy. It's like, oh, wow. You know, now, now, I just realized there's so much good work to do that that we just haven't even thought about. That that like it's kind of like our whole agenda needs to be rethought. We, we and you know we all spend so much time doing and and getting things done. We we were talking about this the the other day with the mutual friends Fode and and Michael. I mean, there's almost this fetish to to get things done. It completely crowds out the time and 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 especially our best time and energy to to explore um, without the burden to complete things. Um, so, what I try to do is make that make that time to be an explorer the imperative and, and, and really help people to recognize how mismatched their balance of, you know, kind of execution versus exploration, how, how completely out of kilter with the time we live in, that balance is. In that, in that they're spending 90% of their time on execution and 10% on exploration, and probably we would all be better off, and you would have a lot more fun <laughs> if, if, if you flipped it. Um, and that's, again, it's very scary. But when you find partners, and, you know, and, and those are the people that I then work with on, sort of on, on, on a deeper level, we, we, you know, we, we, we incubate um, dangerous experiments inside their organizations that have real I mean that that for me make the word disruptive actually do use like we know that if this if this if this catches on it's really going to change things around here and we're excited about it um, do you aspire to go beyond innovation i mean do you kind of want to be in the rebellion box more or, or do you like the innovative box? So help, help, help me out with this. And I wonder if, I wonder what, you know, kind of Jesus Christ would say. Um, <laughs> well, that's why I asked you. <laughs> Part of... I mean, it's. I'll work with anyone. 
I sort of I have the feel like like that that we're all we all have a part to play. There's a there's a kind of an extreme version of the belief in our equality that I read about um, years ago in this 1950s book, Gene Gebser, The Ever-Present Origin, translated from from the German. Um, mm -hmm. I do not recommend this book, by the way. It is a really dense read, but, but I love it. So I'm, I'm going to quote from Gene Gebser. He says, Each attempted... Each attempted and successful clarification of the confusion in our daily lives, each interception of anxiety, each achieved grain of new certainty, each distancing from oneself, regardless of how slight, each discarded prejudice and resentment. These are necessary achievements in order to establish a new reality, and to obtain for each and all of us a sense of meaningfulness. It was kind of, so this guy had a, had a, a, a radical mm. thesis that, you know, we kind of, we live, our reality is this like field of consciousness that we all generate. And we can only change it if we all change it together. Mm. Um, and what's radical about that is to say that it doesn't, we're all necessary to the kind of improvement. When, when we look at something like climate change and we think that the solution is, you know, big government action and, and different incentives and innovation for, for clean tech and batteries and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, that, that is a part of it. But it, it's also that fundamentally we would all need to establish a completely different relationship with one another and with the natural environment that we we just haven't had for tens of thousands of years that kind of sense of oneness with with nature so so that leads me to like i i, I can't so you say like the rebel, like I, I want to work with everyone at some level. And, and, and I'm fascinated to explore, you know, what, what is necessary about Scott's journey? What, what is, what is the, the, the stuff that Scott is going through and processing that if, unless he does, none of us can move forward. Yeah. And and I, I just I just like approaching people with with that attitude. I admit it does mean that <laughs> I spend so much time on the phone because you know I'm changing my um, flight tickets. I'm flying back to to Canada to visit my my family in October. Fingers crossed. And you know in lovely Regina. In in Regina, thank you. Actually, we're gonna go outside of the city and get away. But which is um, the provincial capital, right? It is the provincial capital. Yeah, I've right. I've studied a little bit of it just through our friendship. Just I've, I've, uh, you know, I just I, 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 I've gotten I, I to know a little bit of Regina. When you come, you and I, we will do Regina right. I would love to do it. I would love to do it. You think you think New York is great? Regina, it's to die for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My 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 point being, I forget what my point was. I killed your point. You did. But it had something to do no, with I, no, the necessity. No, so, I, yeah, I mean, I'm really interested accessibility. in... Accessibility. I mean, you want to be accessible to lots of, lots of journeys for individuals and corporate and communal entities, it sounds like. It's, no, it's, it's not... Well, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe uh, for me, I'm not interested in being accessible. I'm interested in being a part of Okay. It, okay. It, you know, it, I, I feel like the relationship is very different. It's not like I'm saying, "Oh, is Chris accessible?" Jesus Christ! Right. I mean, what, uh, but you, you're you, know? you want to be <laughs> able to go on lots of different journeys with lots of different sorts of folks. Sure. Is that more helpful? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we do. 
so let me let me turn this box to you. You know, turn what, it. How turn are the you? You're being your mind is being boggled. Yeah. How do you find yourself? By the way, I love it that uh, um, Robert Burton called this his deviance typology. <laughs> I love deviance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so which which deviant are you? How do you think? How are you? How are you coping? What is your strategy? How are you adapting? What relationship are you creating with the mainstream? With the goals yeah, and the not, means of society? Yeah, I'm not sure because so on some level. I, uh, if we're talking like mainstream North American society, uh, I probably feel that the, the goals are, are quite off. Like, or they're at least like they're, they're, there's some problems with the goals. I, I, I think, I mean, I think. But I'm not like a radical. I'm not living like, I mean, I think I'd be open to, like I have some friends and they're these kind of radical Christians and they're Protestants who live in monastic kind of communities. And some of them are single, some of them are married and they live on like farms or communes. And I think that's really interesting that they've come to embrace this sort of alternative community fashion of living and actually i can think of a friend i went to college with who, who does this in one of the worst neighborhoods in philadelphia and they have this kind of urban compound um and i mean it's you know they're on a drug corner one of the most dangerous corners in philadelphia and and that, i think that's really interesting i i, I mean I, I i think i'm not I, I don't think i have like i think i'm imaginative but not radical so I think like I'm somebody that, that, that likes to think through different possibilities. But in my life, I'm sort of just very ordinary. And I, I think I'm, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if that makes me a conservative. I mean, certainly politically, the way we graph things on, on electoral politics, I wouldn't map as a conservative. But, but, but I think that, that the way I approach life is, is I don't rock the boat that much. I mean, I've been in parts of protest movements and stuff like that, but like, I don't really, I live in a way, maybe like ritualism is where I'm at. Maybe I, maybe I have some, some critical feedback on the goals, but largely I don't really, I don't think I do things that are really provocative in relationship to those things. So I might be in, in part of the just, you know, it's interesting ritualism. It might just be sort of like broad, small C conservatism. I don't mean political conservatism. It just might be conservative in the sense of you're kind of, in, you know, you're hoping for eh, things will evolve and, and, you know, like with evolution's okay. We don't need revolution kind of thing. I, I think, yeah, I, I just don't think I'm a very, interesting person on the map like i think the interesting people are the rebels like it the way the map goes i think the really interesting people are the rebels right the people that are able to do if they can do it sociologically and with a meaningful impact because you can be a rebel and just be like on the street corner or something and be uh you know just be what do they say what what's a leader with no followers just somebody taking a walk you know, like, I, so, I, so I think that like, you know, but I think that's actually, if you can be in a, sp inhabit the space where, where you reject the goals and the, um, and the means and you're really, I mean, that's so interesting, but is that, but can, if you get too many of those, can society even function? So listening to all of that made me realize that, so Again, this typology, 1938. And it's interesting, I think interesting exercises to imagine um, what other labels might one use for the boxes in this picture. Because, yeah, you know, and, I, and I, I didn't know Robert Burton, but, but obviously, you know, when you say it's, you know, you, your choices are conform, innovate, go through the motions, retreat or rebel. You're like, well, rebel sounds pretty interesting. My my rethinking of, you know, if I were to redraw this typology today, how would I label it? The 
the, the first word that I had trouble with was retreat. That somebody who rejects the goals and rejects the means of society today is, has chosen to retreat. And, and I kind of struggle with that because I, I do, I don't know if, I, I definitely spend time in that box. And I don't feel like I'm retreating when I do. You know, I, I think that that box would have a lot more appeal for me if I called it searching instead. You know, and there's it, two, there's or, two or contexts or retreat. Go ahead. Like one context could be a military like withdrawal, like you're on the run. But the other thing could be like what when you have you've had base camp meetings, retreat where you go to the mountaintop or you go to a secluded place with people mm. to do discernment kind of work. And so that's the retreat there right. is not is in, not in removing conflict. yourself from society. Right. It's, 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 it's disengaged to reengage. Right. Right. You're right. And that's already better. I, I can also see someone who, you know, is kind of, let's say, you know, a, 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 a full blooded, I, I'm not sure what language to use, but like just completely in in the game, sort of playing the game as it's been set. You know, instead of someone who accepts the goals and the means isn't conforming. They're a winner. <laughs> right? Someone, someone who rejects the goals and the means, I can tell you already, they're a loser. <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone, someone who accepts the goals, but has you know hasn't hasn't embraced the means they're a failure <laughs> and and somebody who rejects the goals and accepts the means is a team player <laughs> right 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 <laughs> winners right, need right, people right. like that to do the work for us <laughs> so so there's there's a lot of hidden ideology actually in the in the language of of this you know kind of there's a hidden theory of of how people ought to be in um, in the time we're living in, in some sense. It, it brings me back to an episode we did, oh my gosh, a while back, um, where we talked about framing things. And this is kind of a frame, right? I mean, right, it's, what does it's, the frame it's, make it's, you see? It, yeah, and, and, this, and I, it's really helpful. Like, it's really helpful. And yet, it kind of, it, it, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because it does lock you into quadrants right and then you kind of and it's very and then maybe the option i mean maybe it's more fluid than that though because just geographically too like you can you inhabit different quadrants and different contexts do you play uh do you play conformist or whatever or do you play like one role in one part of your life and another part in another part of your life and what does it mean to inhabit different quadrants in different roles in societal life right i mean you can imagine that you could be you know let's say you're part of um you, you let's say you work for penguin random house in new york city and you're pretty much just you know in the corporate kind of your cog in the corporate machine and then let's say you're also part of a catholic worker house movement where you're basically a socialist and you're pretty like you know you're you're bordering on revolutionary kind of ideas, you know like th these things could both be true at once. Like your life could be kind of almost schizophrenically divided between the places where you have to live in one quadrant and the place where you want to live in another one. Oh, I think absolutely. Think of you know personal life. You might. You might be conforming in your relationship. Okay, I understand like the goals in society wants me to be married and so married and you know how we do that is how do we maintain this home and so I, I'm I'm conforming. And then in my work, you know, you might be a total rebel. Like we're we're gonna burn down this industry. We're gonna build a new banking system with cryptocurrencies and and iPhone apps or something like that. And you kind of so you sort of you you cover the terrain by by having different parts of your of your of your self are kind of occupying different different of these bubbles. It's actually that's interesting to do a bit of a personal inventory. Like 
you know, rather than see it as either or, to see it all as end. You know, in in what ways am I a conformist? In what ways am I an innovator? In what ways am I on a retreat or on a search? In what ways am I am I going through the motions? And and in what ways am I thinking about a serious rebellion? I think it's also interesting. Do you own any crypto, by the way? Do you have any cryptocurrency? I do. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that. How do you know you have it though? Do you get a certificate? Like when you buy it, do you get like a stick? Like how do you know you have it? I feel like that's a different episode. Like, do you get an email? Like, you now have crypto? No, you don't. You don't get an email. What there is is a. Uh, how do I explain it without using the word blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> There's a long sequence of numbers <laughs> that you put in, and that's your code. Like, and, so you and it kind of it, it basically basically there's a there's there's a there's a public proof of that transaction. So, do you want the brief one minute digression? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Because I just want to know that's very, that's very cool. I this is very neat. I don't know anybody. Like, I, well, I try to know people. I've never asked. You're the only person I've ever asked about cryptocurrency. It's, I mean, the the classic example. Uh, and so, I'm not being very innovative by using this example. Is to talk like the the function of of um, of of cryptocurrency is to use the example of a land registry. Right, so you know, if you if you own land somewhere that needs to be registered, right? This you know, Scott Jones bought this parcel of land from Jane Doe, and it was hers, and it's now his, right? So, so if you own that land, how do you know that you own it? You've got a document, but also there's basically there's some there's some book, there's a log somewhere that has written down this parcel of land and your name is next to it right it's kind of like a it's like a a, a centralized registry well the the i the the basic question was you know could we find a way to could we find a way to make it possible for that land to change hands without having to use a centralized registry um Maybe a better analogy now that I think about it is bingo. You ever play bingo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to a bingo hall, right? So, you know, what were... If somebody says, I've got a bingo, and, you know, let's say I go into the bingo hall and say, I've got a bingo, then, you know, do I? Is it true? Well, you can kind of look at the numbers that the cards, I've sitting yeah, down right. and look at the numbers. Everybody's got a copy of all the numbers that were called out. And so it's very difficult for me to walk into that hall and, and fake the fact that I have a bingo, right? Even if, even if the person at the front of the room who's like keeping track of all the numbers, if they are not there, doesn't really matter. They're just there for convenience. The fact that there are so many copies of all the numbers that have been called out means that unless I can convince 51% of the people in the room to to lie with me, if I'm the liar, then my bingo isn't going to be accepted. Does that make sense? Wow. So blockchain is bingo. That's a good way to explain it. So yes, I, ha- I own some cryptocurrency. And the way, that, the way that I know is everybody's got a copy of this ledger that says that I do. And and you're I can, an innovator. Yeah, you are an okay. innovator. If you're owning crypto, you're an innovator, and you can explain it. You're innovative. <laughs> well, I didn't explain it very well, but that's. I thought it was that caught me unaware. Good. This is we're not talking about cryptocurrency. Today, I know, but that was a really good explanation. Like it I, is I very was interesting. Really impressed with it. It's actually very interesting when you talk to people who are like deep into the crypto space and like you know we're we're going to overturn the banking system because you know we're not going to have to deal with banks anymore. We'll just deal with one another and these smart contracts and stuff like that. They, in this box, you would say that, you know, they're, well, I guess, I guess you'd say they're innovators. A lot of the goals of, of, of the system, right? We need, we need, um, we need uh, time-stamped transactions that cannot be changed and can be audited. 
we just don't think that it should be banks and governments that do that right. on our behalf. Right. We think that that should be something that we can just use math to to do for. So largely, for they, they're not rejecting the kind of Western monetary kind of. They're just like this is a better kind of currency. Like like if we did this and freed currency from the constraints of banks and governments it would be better like it, they're not like trying to create a new socialist utopia or something well you can so, still buy your boats or this or that like, <laughs> so this is where I mean, this is where the that word they uh really needs to be broken down because like the the crypto space if we want to wade into that i think one of the big things that that you know makes it at least possible to to separate people out is why are you doing this? I mean, a lot of people, you know, are just doing it to try to make money. There's there's nothing more than that. Like, oh, this thing is like going up in value, so I'm going to throw money into it, and apparently, I'm going to have more money afterwards, and then I'll get rich. That's total conformity, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and and in fact, you talk to people who are like, you know, in there from the beginning, like those ancient days in like 2009, 2010. They were, you know, a much more rebellious crowd. You know, they thought, like, oh, this is so cool. Like, we can make these things happen. We have this vision. We should live in a world where, you know, the it should be as easy for the, uh, you know, poor person on some farm in sub-Saharan Africa to, um, you know, operate in the financial system as a billionaire. Like, why is it that the billionaire can move money around so easily, but that for that other person, it is so expensive that they basically can't afford to have a bank account? We're gonna we're gonna completely democratize access to bank accounts, access to banking as a service. Like those are those at the beginning. Now you know you go to the annual Bitcoin conference, and it's just people like, oh my god, look how much money we have now, and they're selling like gold watches and things like that. It's just completely changed because of the if you will, kind of the corruption of some of the, some of the original inspiration that was, that was, was driving a lot of the interesting math. Um, and a lot of it at the beginning was just fascination with, with math, the, the capacity to sort of write these equations and calculations that would use all sorts of different computers to both, um, 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 like kind of calculate and 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 protect the integrity of this distributed you know all the bingo cards that everyone had as well as incentivize people to bring new computers into the system so it would process transactions better and stuff like that and there's all sorts of fancy stuff happening atop it now it's it but somebody still has to call does somebody still have to call bingo in the analogy though like there have to be numbers. There's there's a lot. Okay, so we'll we'll have to have a separate call. We'll do a whole. There's, there's a lot of interesting. Segue. I'm just so curious. I love that you're invested in this. I think it's it, amazing. It, it's 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 almost like at the level of you need a constitution for this stuff. Yeah. Um. And, We're gonna do a whole thing on okay. on okay. on cryptocurrency. Okay. I think we'll, that yeah, would we'll be that'll be fun. A good episode because it would educate me because I know like very little other than like what I occasionally read about you know in popular sort of periodicals and things like that. So here we go. We're back to the beginning of the quadrant and Robert Merton, which is so interesting. And I think, you know, we've, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because we are, it's, it's a great topology to figure out. And again, I think what we kind of came to at the end of our conversation was uh, topologies are interesting, right? Because they can be prescriptive or descriptive. Right, like I think topologies function at their worst when they're prescriptive and saying, "What are you like? You're this, this, this," versus when they often are just good maps, like which is kind of part of what the inspiration of this podcast is. It's a new world; we need new maps, and they often can be descriptive, right? Where it's just helping you map out your reality. And I think this is a great topology because right. it helps us figure out where where we're at in relationship to society. And I think as we've discovered together, we can be at multiple multiple places and multiple times. And that's really interesting. If I could add my, my little bit of 
you know, kind of going back 45 minutes ago, you know, when you talked about the the mind bogglement and 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 my observation how how generative and and productive a space that can be to to hang in uh and i think it's interesting that you know yeah 90 years ago somebody said you know sitting inside this scary space where everything is in flux um can i actually become comfortable in this space enough to understand yeah there actually there are different ways that people are responding to this time of flux and i mean it's it's both simple and and profound because you realize that when you when you just sort of understand those those you know a couple of dimensions yeah what are what are society's goals what is the organization's goals what are my goals and what are the means for getting there you you end up with these kind of four or five different relationships that that you can choose that that organizations you're a part of you can see the history how we've moved from from one box to another and it, it what, you know we are so much in it all the time that anything that helps us to kind of just you know even if it's just like stand on a footstool and get a bit more perspective <laughs> on what is it we're in what is the journey that we've been on you know what are some of the some of the paths that we might choose ahead i think is i think is uh, helpful we might have to dig up more of these there's also just a lot of fun to go into the history archives and find some you know find some models of making sense of things from a hundred years ago that work really well today (laughs) yeah absolutely it's a lot easier than coming up with your own no, absolutely. <laughs> this was fun. Thanks, my friend. Scott, it has been fun. Good to see you again. I prob- And again, no false guilt, but I feel like it was no on MG. me. We'll do this again soon. Crypto. Okay, we'll do it. Crypto. I'm into it. <laughs> see you, man. Thanks for listening to The Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.